Good morning. We are at Guilty by Association, the Vanica podcast, all things technology and association management. Today's guest is Rob Buffington with Gordian. Um, hey, Rob, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Where are you calling from again? Today, I'm in Omaha. Omaha. Okay. What's, what's going on in Omaha today? Absolutely nothing. Same as every other day. <laughs> That's probably the charm of it, right? It's. I, I like it. We we moved out here about two years ago, and we really like it. It's big enough that you still have the amenities. It's small enough that it feels like a small town. And we bought a brand new house for four hundred thousand compared to the Bay Area. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that's a steal for sure. In the Bay Area, you could probably find a cardboard box next to a park. Doghouse. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's where. You, so that's where you came from uh, originally. Uh, yeah, Rob? we. I lived in California for about thirty years. So. Okay, man. Big culture change, huh? That was kind of the idea. Yep. Didn't want my kids growing up with Uber and everything available at a moment's notice. And yeah. Gotcha. What um what took you to Omaha though? Uh, you know, I get that question so much, I'm gonna get it printed on a little laminated card. <laughs> we didn't know a single person out here. We have no family out here. It was straight up process of elimination. We've always wanted to leave California because of the taxes and just every cost of living, all of it. And we started making a list of like, no, nah, I could never see living there. I couldn't live there. And basically we wanted a nice middle of the road state with low taxes, low cost of living and good schools uh, in a Metro above 500,000 people. Okay. And over the years, we narrowed the list down. No kidding. Oh, interesting. Very analytical approach there, Rob. It works. Yeah, Are you happy awesome. with the decision? We are. Yeah. Good. Yeah, great schools. My kids love it. Wife loves it. Could use a slightly bigger airport, but other than that, we're good. <laughs> that's really interesting. That's that's cool. So give us a little bit of your background, Rob. Like, how are you related to this crazy HOA industry that we're in? And what are you up to now? As with most people, it was a total accident. Um, I got started as a rental investor in the crash, um, started into rental property management, acquired a book of business that had four HOAs in it that were like 10 units each and started doing HOAs. In terms of remote staffing, I was my own first customer. I built my own company with remote staff. And then I was hanging out with a buddy of mine one day and he just said, hey, that's really cool. Can you help me do that? And five years later, we have almost 300 employees. And yeah, it somehow never left the HOA industry like most people. Wow, that's a pretty rapid growth. COVID helped a little. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. With those 300, so let's go back a little bit. So going back from 300 employees to like with your, your management company, was your management company there in the Bay Area? It was. Yeah, we had offices in San Leandro and San Jose. Gotcha. And so what kind of led to you all even considering remote staffing to begin with as a business operator there? Like most people, it was pretty much straight desperation. Um, <laughs> very few people call us because like, hey, and we don't promote ourselves as a cost saving company. That's not how I view us. You will save money, but we're a superior staffing company. So most people don't call us because they're trying to save money. They call us because they just need anybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of the same situation I was in. I owned at the time two businesses in the Bay Area, one of the most expensive places on the planet, one of the most employer unfriendly places from a legal standpoint in the country. Um, and, you know, to be honest, it wasn't a great time for me. I had taken on some really bad partners. Um, I was working, I don't think I'm exaggerating, 90, 100 hours a week. And it was taking a real toll on me. And we had an employee that had been there like three months who we had to give like warnings and final notices to turns around and sues us. And we're like, you can't sue us. None of that is true. And we ended up paying through the nose just because. 
And it was, it was a dark place because we were losing money. We were drowning. We couldn't afford new people to come in. Um, and I, I really didn't like who I was personally because the stress was just killing me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was talking to a friend of mine in uh, Texas and he was doing the same thing and almost the reverse. He said, Hey, I have a, I have an extra person you might like talking to, you know, do you want me to introduce you? I said, well, you know, it can't be any worse than what we've got already. So, well, what, what that, that? that's Gordian's motto right there. It couldn't be any worse than what you've already got. <laughs> Probably could have phrased that better, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. marketing will love that. Uh, so, what what role was that first person? That serving? person what was. What were they doing? As, as with most small companies, because my first hire was for my building services company, not my property management company. Mm. As with so many uh, roles, it was just kind of a do whatever you can. Answer the phones, send out proposals, take messages. Um, and that person is actually still with me today. He's my number two at Gordian. Um, so he's been with me about five years now. Um and, and yeah, he just started as basic customer service rep and admin, but kept going up and bought, that was in April of 2017, I believe. And by September, we had 10 at both companies and it was just, it was amazing. It, it, wow. it I, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say it possibly saved my life because it was not, it was not a good time. Yeah. It's so impactful how just that little bit of stress reduction when you don't have a huge um, something huge, you know, out work to deal with, just yeah. really turns your turns you around on, you know, your love for your career in general. Yeah, because I was getting to the office at six a.m. I was getting home at eight p.m. Monday to Friday, and then I would work full days Saturday and Sunday. And it was just it was, and two young kids at home, and it was just, yeah, it was not a good time. Yeah. Well. Unfortunately, you're speaking the language of a lot of folks in this industry still right now, right? So I, I guess really quickly, if you had like two cents of advice for folks looking at like how to deal with those same problems, you know, and like through like a remote employee type, like where do you start? Yeah. Like where do you start? Uh, start at the bottom. Uh, you you can't, as much as you might want to hire somebody to fix everything for you, you cannot. You have to go through what I call the clean room process, take one area of your company and do whatever it takes to make it work. So let's make that the front line, the receptionist, the customer service. Create a script and create a company directory and say, here are your 10 most common questions. Where do I send my dues? Who's my manager? Can you reset my Vanica portal? How do I get my governing doc? Just those questions. And then here's who to send other calls to. Make it perfect. Hire somebody and give them all of that. Then move on to your next one. Maybe that's AR. And here's the script. Here's how to read the ledger. Here's the forms to send them if they ask to get a fee waived and move that to this side. And one segment at a time, move things over through the clean room because too many people hire RTMs, remote staff, uh, remote team members, what we call them, because a, a VA has a call center mentality, reading from a script, et cetera. And that's that's not what we do. That's we, we give all sorts of employees that are much more skilled. But too many people hire an RTM expecting them to fix things. Like, I'm so busy, I just need more people. And that's like saying, I'm conducting this orchestra, let's add three more flautists and and see what happens. Like, no, you've got to lead, you've got to get things together. And it can be the smallest position imaginable. But once you start that, it takes the pressure off of the entire organization. And then you can move to the next one, and then the next one, and the next one. And, And just to be clear, it took years. It was not an overnight success for me or for anybody, but little by little, you can start making those changes and undoing the process. So I would say start at the bottom, the lower the task, customer service, AP, data entry, um, stuff like that, the easier it is to train, the easier it is to clean up and the easier it is to delegate. Um, And then realize that this person is going to actually lose, you're going to lose time at first 
people hire people and like day one, they need to know what they're, and it's like, that's not how that works. That's not how that works with anybody. You need to be prepared, no matter how busy you are, block off a couple of days to train that person or it's not going to work. That's a great point. That is a great point. And that's, that was going to be one of the questions that I had is, you know, what is your advice for those, those people who are in situations like you are in there, you know, these guys are working 80 plus hours a week. Um, You really, you know, like you're so involved in solving problems that you really just don't have time to think about anything else. Yeah. And I I use the analogy of like owning a business is like flying a plane, but it can never Mm -hmm. land and you got to go fix the wing, but you can't land the plane. And that's how most business owners Mm -hmm. feel. Um, I would say outside consultants can be great. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with some really great ones that uh, there's a great one in Texas, Errol Allen, who I would recommend to anybody. And um, you know, I can't say it was the most pleasant process, but, you know, we definitely wouldn't be standing without him. And he forced us to go, like I said, department by department, line by line, response by response and map out flow charts and scripts and all that. Um, I would say join mastermind groups. You know, you've got uh, the the internet has made us connected in a way that's never been possible before. And one of the one of the best things I did in the early days, I created a an online profile with a pseudonym, and I would just ask any question I wanted because I was so green. And by using a fake name, I didn't have to worry about it showing up on Yelp or something. And I would just be like what's a triple tie reconciliation or what's a, what's executive session mean? And, and I would just ask anything. So I would say, don't let your, don't let your pride prevent you from asking for help. You got any go-to forums or sites to share there? Um, on the HOA side, there's not a ton to be honest with you. I mean, get involved in your local CAI chapter, of course. Um, the best thing I did was I set up a mastermind group that met weekly or bi-weekly, depending on how busy we were. And I intentionally picked people from across the country that I'd met at conferences. So we could be completely honest. We weren't competitors. There was nothing mm-hmm. to fear. And I would just say, Hey, what are you struggling with? What software are you using? What tricks have you picked up? That kind kind of thing. Yeah, that's yeah, clever. Yeah. Is that something that you're still involved with? Um not as much. We sold our management company back in 2020, a mm-hmm. um, couple of weeks before COVID, actually. So that was just great timing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we did end up buying an HOA management company earlier in 2022, which um, I just have a I need to be punished, I guess. I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, so I didn't do that, but I still keep in touch with a lot of people. And in fact, some of those people became our earliest clients. Um, so I still talk to them regularly. Cool. So if, I, if I'm running a property management or a community management company, um, and I'm thinking about getting some remote team members, what kinds of questions should I be asking? Um. Obviously, you want to ask about the screening process um, because I worked with other companies before founding Gordian and their quality is part of what led me to do it better. You know, find out like, are you just posting it online and sending me people or are you actually meeting with them and screening them, et cetera? I would ask, what's your focus? Like, do you know our industry? Do you know the quirks? Do you know the difficulties and the unique positions that we have? Um, obviously ask about pay, ask about, or cost, I should say. And then in terms of pay, ask how much are they getting? Um, I was startled to find out how much most staffing companies keep. Um, our margin is usually between nine and 15%. We offer full benefits. We are completely compliant by the law. Our idea is it's better to spend an extra dollar an hour and keep people for five years than cut corners and have people churn every six months and send the message that I'm going to do as little as possible for you. And that's what I expect in return. So we're the only company I know that specializes in the HOA industry. We offer full major and minor medical food vouchers, restaurant tickets, employer match savings fund, one month's Christmas bonus, and we're completely compliant under Mexican law, which doesn't sound that important when it's in another country. But because Mexico does everything through the government, your health insurance, your retirement, your unemployment, maternity and paternity leave, all of that, 
if you're working under the table or if you're working with a company that's posting a lot less than they're actually paying you, when you need something from the government, you get nothing. There's no unemployment. There's no paternity leave. You get paid, you know, $10 a day, $20 a day, because that's what the company's been reporting to save money. Whereas we do it all by the books. Yeah, that's important. So you, you had mentioned previously that you guys do some HOA specific training for your mm-hmm. folks. What does that look like? So it, it's customizable. Everybody we do goes through a couple of things. We put everybody through Julie Adaman's CAM 101 class, which is a great primer on the HOA industry. Takes about six to eight hours and it's all pre-recorded, so you can watch it throughout the week. Um We also put everybody through an intranet that we've created, um, and it has several hundred videos of three to four minutes each that answer the basic questions like, what's an executive session, and how do I renew an insurance policy, how do I take meeting minutes that come up as the person is working. So between those two, um, we've also partnered with Vantica, who's generously given us access to Vantica University, things like that. And then if people are looking to hire maybe an entire division, if they're doing five people or more at a time, five customer service reps or five accountants, we can actually hire them and do the training and then hand them off. So we have one company that they hired us through Gordian Financial. We're taking their entire accounting department. They're about 200 HOAs. And at the end of the term, we're actually going to be hiring, training, developing the processes, and then handing the entire package over to them at the end of the term so that they get a fully working accounting department. Um, But most people we advise start with just one and see how it goes, learn the ropes, because it will be an adjustment. I won't pretend it's not going to be work and that it's not going to be an adjustment. Right. Yeah, we tend to advise when you're going through this type of a process, like that amount of investment and the amount of time Mm -hmm. we're looking at it plotted linearly, you're going to see that initial spike, as you mentioned earlier, right? And you need to expect and anticipate and plan for that extra time and investment and and do like, you know, your dad always said, right? Do it right the first time that you don't have to come back in and tackle that problem again six months later. And I think your approach with tackling the different departments makes that process very manageable for clients if they can segment things out in that way to really just dive in and spend some key focusing in on those areas and and, and breaking it down like that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So going back to, let's put your management um, company hat back on again. And you said that uh, congratulations on uh, the acquisition there. the management company. So I guess thinking through like when you first started in the HOA industry and COAs, and you know, you mentioned, you know, on, on the, on the rental side, um, one thing I'd be very curious about is like, what advice would you give to someone that's like just en- entering into the industry? You know, we're going through all these rapid evolutions and changes Run. and that sort of thing. <laughs> Run. <laughs> um, but really, <laughs> um, I would say systematize everything, build your company as if you had 300 HOAs. And so plan ahead for that. Don't make exceptions to land the clients. Too many people, they're hungry and they'll customize everything by client. And that invariably leads to mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, Make sure that each of your managers is doing things the exact same way. Too many companies that I go in and I consult with and I talk to their portfolio managers, and it's not one company, it's five companies that share a trade name. So what happens is when a manager leaves and the portfolio gets split, all the HOAs are upset because it's done differently. Mm. Um, I would also say value your CAMs. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's a given, but give them the support network that they can take a day off because one of the things with burnout is the feeling like I can't, I can't stop. I can't stop the plane. Whereas if you build that support network and I'm a huge proponent of bring in a cams and bring in assistant community association managers and have a back office that supports the cam, you have a couple of major benefits. Number one, your cost goes down because all those positions can be remote. Number two, you'll have more consistency because if you have an ACAM shared between two associations, uh, two portfolios, or a maintenance coordinator or what have you, you can know that it's being done the same way across the portfolios. 
Number three, you have scalability. You know, most people, they couldn't afford to grow if they had to. And so they can never make enough money to hire the people they need. And they're stuck in this vicious cycle. Mm. Um, and then number four, you, your people know that they can be promoted. So many cams are too good to promote. And they know that. And because there's no room to advance, what's the point of doing more than the bare minimum not to get yelled at? And because the HOA industry is so slow moving, it can take six months for the problems to manifest. And that's when management company owners get left holding the bag because they took a job across the street and you're having to clean it up. So having the duties spread out among those positions can be very valuable. Well, two questions there. One, how have you found success in or seen success in taking those high performing managers that you need servicing those really tough accounts that they know how to do with those boards and they're doing things the way that you can trust? How do you how do you how do you move them into that next level? Like, how do you keep them going? How do you how have you found success doing that? Well, I always tell people. Don't be irreplaceable because if you're irreplaceable, you can't be promoted. Um, so in my experience, it, it works the same as with a customer service lead or with an accounting lead. Before making them a supervisor, make them first among equals. So instead of making them a regional manager, make them the senior community manager, kind of a seasoned elder that knows the, knows the company and knows the procedures that others can go to for help. Because giving people a position doesn't guarantee success. You want to know, can they lead people? Do people like working for them? Do people trust their advice? So by making them maybe not a trainer, but a leader before making them a manager can be the best way to do it. And then, of course, you have to make sure that you're grooming their replacement. Every important person in my company has a, a, a person being groomed to replace them, including me. Because any person can disappear at any time, whether that's burnout, taking another job, health, you know, God forbid they get into a car accident, or what happens if we buy another company and I need to move you to take over a new division or be promoted? So every single person has somebody that is shadowing them, is being groomed to, to take over in time. And sometimes that's, you know, the person here is grooming this person who's grooming this person. And so it's a little daisy chain working your way up. But you have to do that. And what, as it relates to CAMs, every CAM should have an assistant community manager or a junior CAM, depending on the title you like, who, is, who knows the association so that if the association portfolio grows or if you take on new clients or new managers or whatever, there's more than one person who knows what's going on. Because most people, when a CAM leaves, they have no idea what that CAM was doing. But by having that help, the burnout will drop, the retention will go up. And that's what happened in my company. Our retention went through the roof because we could afford to pay more. We could take away some of the more menial tasks and everybody liked having the, the help. Yeah. And then you're building that pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why I say start at the bottom. Cause for example, a client services model where everybody, the first ring goes to that four or five people that just answer the basic questions. What happens is people use that as a feeder system of, oh, this person has been really good at de-escalating people with late fees. Let's move them to an AR clerk. This person has some experience with construction. Let's move them to a maintenance coordinator and then bring new people in the client services center. Totally, totally. And then you're building that experience that's so tough to really train on in this industry, right? right? Is the context and the terminology and that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. My, my one more question really quick, going back to something that you said earlier, I want to key in on, because this is one of the challenges, and Shelly, you might know where I'm going with this, because this is one of our big challenges on the management company side is dealing with those big clients that would come in, Rob, and, you know, there's a big client, VP's been working them for a while, like, if we get in good with this client, we're going to get in good with this developer that's going to get us all these other clients, but they do things a little bit differently in that association. You know what yeah. I mean? And so our standard processes, like you mentioned, that we need to scale and to ensure that we're delivering a consistent service and that we can rely on, et cetera, would require evolution there. I'm curious as to like how you navigate some of those types of interactions on your side. Do you? Yeah. And, and of course, you know, there's, there's, <laughs> 
there's exceptions to every rule, even the rule about exceptions. Um, you know, like we have clients that, Hey, I want to do, you know, I want these payment terms or I want this. And it's like, all right, let me look at it with a common sense lens. Mm-hmm. I guess the question is number one, are they worth it? And number two, is it a permanent mm-hmm. exception or is it an onboarding exception? So mm-hmm. I would look at those two things at the end of the day, a common sense has to rule, but especially when you're getting started, that's, that's really the danger when you're big enough and you know what you're doing, you have to learn the fundamentals before you can experiment. But it's the guy with 10 HOAs that worries me that every one of them is built separately. Every one of them has different rules. That's the danger. So keep your exceptions, exceptions. <laughs> Not everybody can be an exception. Be exceptional before you make exceptions. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, um, I kind of wanted to pivot back to, again, you know, when we first asked that question of, um, you know, what, what is your advice to people going to the HOA management industry? And you said run. What is, what is it about the community association management industry that you think is so challenging? Like what makes this industry as challenging as it is? I think we could spend a couple of hours on that. Um, <laughs> not, not, not trying to be funny. Top three list, maybe. The underlying problem is that the industry itself, the, the, not the industry, but the, the system is inefficient. Not that it's bad, but that's inefficient. And it was not made with a centralized purpose. You have people that have no idea what to do running things. In most states, you have no licensure requirements. So I can't tell you the number of HOAs we had that had been cleaned out at some point before they came to us, not by us. Um, Because some guy with a PO box can just open up and say, I'm an HOA manager. There's no licensing requirements. And I'm not a big fan of government intervention. I got to be honest, but there's, there's no oversight. There's no, I, I had a, I had incredible dealings with other managers and it's like, you turn around and there's nobody to talk to. There's no department of real estate in most States. So there's no, there's no oversight. And then the board members themselves have no idea what's going on. And we as the managers don't educate the board members. The most successful companies I know spend the time and require new board members to go through board member orientation. And I think that's very valuable, especially because you can pre-record that. And I can even recommend companies that have set up products to do that without having to reinvent the wheel. But some of the most difficult board members were very successful people in their nine to five jobs. And they couldn't appreciate that they had to trust the manager, that you don't know this part of life. And in turn, the managers don't inspire confidence because they're overworked, they're burnt out, they're not paid commensurate with the abuse they have to take. Mm -hmm. Add to that, most management companies don't make it clear to the CAMs that I will back you. I expect you to be you know, polite and have good customer service, but you also don't need to take that. And I think most cams feel like they're left out to drift. And if they're getting yelled at for the 17th time, nobody cares. And they don't understand that the company will back them. Yeah, I think that's an important, um, I think that is huge. And I think that that's an important kind of thing for folks to remember is, you know, board members are volunteers. They this is not their industry. This is not what they know. So that's a great point of, you know, if you can do board education, you can really make that relationship between the management Absolutely. and the board so much better. Yeah. And you can have great relationships, but just like hiring people, you need to put the time in up front. Mm-hmm. And most managers are in the exact same scenario as business owners that they're so far behind that they can't stop the plane to get out and work on it. Mm-hmm. So that's where bringing in the support network really helps because they don't, they don't have time to invest in this new board member. All they want is to be left alone. But if they put that effort in, it pays off in the long term. So on the topic of managers, we're hearing so many folks reach out and say, hey, BD, hey, Shelly, you wouldn't happen to know any association managers in insert market here, right? Yeah. Like, do you have any strategies on finding, because again, as you said, a lot of states don't have licensure. There aren't programs where you can go learn how to become a new association manager that are widely marketed to like community colleges and that sort of thing largely. How do you approach 
the and how have you seen success and others approaching this from a staffing perspective? Well, California is actually uh, CACM, the state uh, organization for managers. They've partnered with CSU Fullerton to actually launch the first HOA hmm. management degree for colleges. We'll see how that goes. Um, in terms of how to attract good CAMs, we steal a lot from rentals and hotels. Um, we find a lot of general managers, assistant managers from the big hotel chains. We find a lot of people that were assistant managers at rental companies, and we bring them over and give them the crash course. We look for three things. We look for good attitude, good computer skills, and good customer service skills. If you have those three things, I will teach you whatever you need to know. Um, and I think we get too hung up on the resume and not enough on the person. And I made this mistake when I had my company. I remember I hired this guy and I can't remember what company he worked for, but it was one of the big ones. And I thought, this is it. This is the guy he's going to come in and he's going to know everything and he's going to help us build. And what had happened was he was so used to the systems, he couldn't operate in an environment without mm. the systems. He was used to sitting in front of the computer that told him the next steps. And, and he lasted about a year. And it, it wasn't his fault. It was my fault as the business owner. Um, so yeah, you, you've got to bring the people over regardless of experience and be willing to train them. And that's why I like the redundancy model. Partner them with a CAM, bring them in as an A CAM, a junior CAM, whatever you want to call it, and let them work their way up, which I know doesn't help people in the short term. But honestly, it could, because if you have a, a dedicated CAM, you can bring in an ACAM and increase their portfolio by 50%. Managers don't shoot me, but because there's two <laughs> of them that they can handle the lower tasks. So my ideal model is the CAM should only be talking to the board, and then you should have an ACAM or a junior CAM that handles all the homeowners. In my personal experience, my personal opinion, that's, that's the ideal model. Well, so it's interesting you bring that up, Rob. So you're going to be joining us for our user conference here in a I'll few weeks. We have yep. a panel discussion on that very topic, right? Like the changing role of the community manager. And a lot of the themes that you're bringing up here are very much in line with where we've seen some success from other management companies around the industry kind of moving to that. Because one thing I want to go back to real quick, I wouldn't want an associate as a as a person, like if we're just speaking person to person and you said, Rob, you know, BD, I'm thinking about getting into association management. Please start as an ACAM and not an association manager. Yes, you probably are going to be making less, but you can't undo the years of therapy that you might have to go through if you get <laughs> thrown in front of a couple boards like we see some folks do, right? Like yeah. that can be a traumatic experience. Yeah. Maybe it's good for you to start and figure out, is this industry a place where I want to be? There's some amazing folks in this industry, some really awesome opportunities, new evolution growth. You obviously represent a lot of that, right? But coming in and learning um, from the ground up, like that's, that's how I learned. That's definitely how Shelly learned as well. You know, we see a lot of value in it as well. Well, and it, it's, it, it's, it's tough because we, we can speak for hours about this, but most companies have no oversight of their camps. The only thing they track is how many people are yelling at us today. How many complaints mm -hmm. do we have? They're not tracking things like, billable hours, response time, missed call percentage, turnaround time for work orders, instituting key performance metrics or KPIs. And as a result, they have no idea how things are going. So when you bring new people in at the manager level, they're completely on their own and they know it. Whereas when you bring people in as an assistant manager or a junior cam, they have somebody who's watching them and can fall back on that. And that's, they can fall man, back on, excuse me. That's one thing that resonates so much with us is being able to understand and know what's actually going on and not having to rely on a he said, she said situation and being able to actually see data, see the conversation, see the response times. And, you know, as we build out, you know, our platform and, you know, kind of being able to provide those types of insights to our business owners, one thing that we get really excited about is like with the opportunities that come from, you know, the services that you offer from a remote team member perspective, being able to plug folks in and see how productive they're being, see the value that they're adding and being able to contribute with those real numbers and be able to, you know, obviously then decision on that. How do I scale this out and, and continue to grow is very exciting yeah. opportunities. And it's the first week of October right now. 
I'm, this is my time to do employee reviews. I do quarterly reviews the first week of the new quarter, first two weeks of the new quarter, excuse me. And that lines up with our profit sharing and our charitable give back, which are derived from the previous quarter books. And I have KPIs for each management position. So I'm doing one uh, for my building services company in California, and it's the vice president of administration. And I'm going through missed call percentage. I'm going through uh, email response time. I'm going through dollar per payroll hour. Um, there's a great metric called direct labor efficiency ratio or DLER that the HOA industry absolutely needs to bring in. And it's your mm -hmm. revenue for your man hours, just straight up. How many hours per association are you spending? Because I'd be willing to bet there's one association that is wiping the map with everybody else that you need to get rid of or up the price on. So we have those numbers that lets me say in objective criteria, not just do better so people yell less. Hey, the missed call percentage was 10%. That's not okay. Our goal is 5%. Next quarter, hey, it was 10%. You're down to six. That's better. That's an improvement, but we're still going for five. It helps do that so people feel, number one, they know that somebody is watching. And as weird as it sounds, people like oversight. They might not say they do, but they like to know that they're being observed so that when they do well, they're being rewarded and it helps them do better. So it, it adds a lot to these positions. And I think it's, it's a very strong missing component, uh, major missing component to the industry. So kind of on that note of like um, the employee reviews and, and getting that feedback, do you see that working any differently with the remote team members than it would with anybody else in the organization? You're having the same conversation. No, in fact, most of the reviews I'm doing are for remote employees okay. that I see once or twice a year. Because I, so right now I own seven companies. In five of those companies, the senior ranking person besides me is a remote team member. Okay. And so that's one of the things I like to illustrate is, again, people think, we don't use the term VA because they think call center. We're providing you people that can grow with your organization and you hire a CSR and they become an ACAM. You hire an ACAM, they can become a, a remote CAM. We're giving you people that grow with your company, not just an outsourced service that stays where it is. I don't even like the term outsourced because we're helping you open your Mexico office. These are your employees. They're part of your team and they'll grow with you. And it's like the key to the success there then with the, just the reality of these being virtual employees is keeping that feedback loop established, firmly anchored in those KPIs and in what's driving those conversations and how you're evaluating their performance. Yeah. Number one complaint we get from employees, because we, we listen to them as much as we listen to the clients. We don't just say, hey, client, you're, you can do whatever you want. We talk to the employee and get their feedback too. Number one complaint is I got zero training and I've gotten zero feedback. It's like, I'm being let go. I had no idea why, like nothing has been told to me. Um, so yeah, getting the KPIs, getting the reviews, getting that feedback is a hundred percent vital and we'll hound you. We will say, Hey, it's been a week. How are things going? We actually send surveys to our employees and say, Hey, it's been five days. Does the job description match what you were told? Do you know who your supervisor is? Do you feel like you're part of the team? Have you been trained? And we ask them that. And then we take those answers and we pass it along to the, the client and say, hey, they said, do I feel a part of the team? Two out of five. Maybe spend some more time with them. Maybe work with them a little more. Introduce them to the team. And so we, we keep that line of communication open. And similarly, if a client says, hey, they're great, but they're kind of struggling with this, we'll use our next scheduled check-in to say, hey, I found this great podcast. You should check out, you know, Vantica podcast or whatever podcast episode on this subject. So we're, we're passing that information along in a helpful manner. And that's why our retention rate is as high as it is. It's over 90% year over year, which is way better than we get domestically. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. That's phenomenal. It, from no, random organizational nerd perspective how are you keeping and retaining all of that feedback like is it just a bunch of sp crazy spreadsheets you are using you guys have a program you're using to keep track of all of that a little of both um yeah. we it, it's honestly it's pretty jury rigged um there's a lot of spreadsheets there's a lot of job forms um 
But perks of remote labor is I can have a lot of people analyzing that. Um, and I use the same model in my company. I have my account managers that are equivalent to CAMs, and that's the one point of contact. And then they liaise with HR, accounting, recruiting to get the updates and have the information, but everything runs through that account manager. So it only takes him a couple of minutes, even though there's been hours behind the scenes of HR generalists calling and saying, hey, how are things going? Getting the feedback, condensing it into a bite-sized, easily understandable package of data, and then the account manager gets it. And that's the exact model that I recommend for HOA managers. Yeah, makes sense. Nice. Totally makes sense. So seven businesses, you said, Rob. What's, uh, what's the next one? Uh, my wife will kill me if I buy anything else. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think we're going to stay in the same industries that we're in. We're in HOA management. We're in accounting. Um, we're in building services. Uh, we have our sister company, Gordian Financial, as I said. Um, I would like to get into IT at some point. Um, and then a little bit of marketing because I think the goal is to become Gordian business solutions. We have Gordian staffing, we have Gordian financial, we have Gordian consulting. Um, but I, I, I want to be the solution that I wish I had five years ago of a one-stop shop for these small companies of, that doesn't even know what to ask. And so that's the goal. Very cool. Great. Very cool. Yeah. Good. good. <laughs> I love the vision for sure. I definitely do. So let's stop real quick. We've asked you a bunch of questions today. Do you have any questions for us uh, while we're chatting here? Um, what is, I mean, what's the biggest need you see in the industry? You guys get a different perspective than we do. Oh, I could take that question a thousand different ways um, as far as like things that I think that I think are needed in the industry, but kind of thinking back to the question I asked you of why is the industry so challenging? Um, I still think that there's a huge communication problem um, and, and maybe not communication as much as understanding between the individual unit owners and, and homeowners and what the management company is there for. So I think that there's just still this miscommunication where um, most of the owners are running around just thinking that the management company just wants to take all my money and send me violation letters. Yeah. Um, and so I really feel like, you know, we have, we have a big opportunity to improve that communication, um, with homeowners and, and help them really see the value of a management company, um, to kind of turn that relationship around. Manage expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Managing expectations is big. I, I mean, it's hard not to come back to the education piece from a variety of different perspectives, whether you're looking at it from, you know, a homeowner, unit owner perspective, really understanding like what an HRA really means to me, what it is and what it isn't. But then also, as you mentioned earlier, Rob, from like the management side and like the, uh, you know, you know, trying to operate these different associations within the different regulatory environments that are constantly evolving and changing, right? Making sure that we're doing so in ways that aren't exposing the HOA to risk that's unnecessary. You know what I mean? And so kind of understanding the HOAs and obviously the management company. So like education, not only for, you know, the managers and keeping up with the, the regulatory changes and environments. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I think CAI does a good job with that and making sure that you're staying involved with those types of things. But then also like, how do we, how do we have better information for homeowners? Like, quite frankly, going back to my AR days, Rob, um, None of our none of our attorneys ever returned any owner contact forms. Right? There's no in there's no participation in that part of the process. You know, so we're processing transfers and sending out communications and inevitably getting calls right from confused homeowners as to what is this? Why am I receiving this right. all this stuff? So it's not explained from very well or at all from the real estate side as someone who's purchased property. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. that wasn't a thing that really got explained super well. So that would be that would be my two cents. And I think. I, I think the industry has taken on the qualities of the HOA. Most HOAs, they meet at best monthly, but more often quarterly. So change takes forever. And it's usually minuscule change. I mean, you never see an HOA just decide something. And mm -hmm. I think management companies have taken on that mindset without realizing it. And I, when, I do, when I do my consulting, I tell people, I want you to forget that you own this company. Forget all the years, forget all the time. I want you to imagine that you just bought it and you have no staff, 
but you have these are the objectives you need to fill, start thinking about what do you need at a bare minimum to get the job done? Rewrite your job description. Because what we do is, here's what a CAM has always done. And with COVID, I guess we could change this 10% and move it here rather than let's just scrap it. Let's just start from the beginning. We have these amazing people. What is their time worth? What are they great at? And what do they not enjoy doing? And what are they not good at doing? Mm. So perfect example that I think is going to come very strong in the next year is inspections. You know, communities want inspections. They want walkthroughs. So the CAM does that. Why? Number one, you can have a dedicated property inspector. Number two, you can have the board members do it for your smaller communities. That's something we do is we say, you know, we're going to do everything remotely and you can walk around and send us photos. Or there's a new company that we've been looking at, uh, Compliance View 360, that I know you guys are partnering with as well. And they send cars and they take videos of the HOAs and they send it back. And then you can have anybody on your staff, including an RTM, look at it, flag the violations and send it to the manager. So again, all these people are doing all this behind the scenes work. The manager gets it in this bite-sized packet of information that they can act on rather than half an hour to drive to the site, an hour to get pestered by the cat lady who doesn't like her neighbor, 10 minutes to do the actual walkthrough, and then get back to an overflowing inbox. So I think companies like Compliance View 360 are going to be a great example of where technology and innovation come in and just disrupt everything. And it's coming for sure. So to that point, as because we agree, we see, you know, technology definitely shifting like what people are doing and how they're servicing communities and what that work looks like. How can we as an industry keep, you know, because let's go back to that management, that manager perspective. If the managers aren't going out on site, a lot of feedback we hear is I want my managers on site, understanding the community, understanding the nuance so they can add that value. So as the industry moves in this direction, how can we in this industry continue to add that unique value that we can add to the communities and develop and be able to leverage like our expertise of our managers and that sort of thing to really build better communities and stronger communities as we become more detached. Response time and expertise. Mm. Most communities, what they want above all <clears throat> is response time. Even if it's hey, I have received your email and I will get back to you in a few days when I get the information. I, most, most companies, most uh, associations we talk to, they don't, they're not as concerned with on-site. Some of them are, but what they really want is they want to know that you're paying attention and they want to know that you know the HOA and that you're interested and you care. Response time is what gives them that. They want on-site time because if they email you, you don't respond for a week. And if you convinced them, you know, we're going by, we saw your neighbor's house with the trash cans out front, we did what we have to, and I'm responding as quickly as I can, that's what they actually want. And that's where the ACAM-CAM uh, dynamic comes in. You would not believe how many of my emails I don't write. <laughs> or they'll write the draft, I'll review it and click send. So there's no reason that your ACAM can't write drafts to everything and then click send. And then after six months or th two months, forget six months, two months, here are the things that I'm comfortable that you're just, you're nailing, you know how to answer these, go ahead and click send on those and then leave anything legal, anything from the board, leave that for me to click send. But there's no reason you have to do all that work yourself. Totally. That's awesome. And that's how you build good managers. Mm -hmm. People want you on site because it gets your undivided attention. You can't run away. Mm -hmm. But if you voluntarily give them your attention via email or even via Zoom calls, they will not be as concerned with on site. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that goes to my question is that's kind of my fear. I see some just we, we have so many awesome clients and we see some association managers that do just genuinely care. They walk into an association and they're trying to help make it better. They're looking at the landscaping are looking at why we need a ramp here and what would it look like if there was a playground here because then the kids would have a safe place to go instead of running across the street and so how do we keep keep applying that level of value as you know um become more detached 
Yeah, and you're right. And, and as much as we joke and as much as we talk about it, most managers genuinely care, at least in the beginning. The reason they stop caring is they realize that they've given two years to this HOA, nights, weekends, birthday parties, you know, taking calls in the middle of anything you can imagine. And after two years, they don't care. The board gets a new board member with, you know, a burr in his saddle and wants to rake the guy across the coals to prove that he know, he's in charge and they don't get any support from their cams. And so it's a thankless job. So most managers do start off caring, but they don't get the support from their own side and they don't know how to develop boundaries and prevent scope creep with the associations. Well, this is a good opportunity for us to stop and say, for those of you who may be listening to this and you are an association manager or spent time um, you know, helping board members and working with homeowners, thank you for what you're doing because it is generally a thankless job and I know you don't hear it often enough. So, Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. Well, and, and Rob, I guess before we wrap up today, did you have any other questions for us? Any other things you wanted to share? Or? Uh, what's What are you developing new that people ought to know about? Oh man, I'm excited that you asked. There's a bunch of really cool things that our product um, and development teams are working on right now. The thing that I'm most excited about um, that's closest to my heart and has been for quite a while is taking all of the information, like going back earlier, you were talking about KPIs, right? And my, my head's going in a million different directions as you're talking about that, because we're building a tool right now to take all of those details from Voices you're approving and the calls that you're taking and how long it's taking you to process those invoices in response to those questions from the owners, going back to the importance of response time, we're building out dashboards so business owners like yourself can build out what those KPIs really are and then have not only metrics that they can set and apply against their employees, but then push those metrics to their employees so they can self-monitor and see how they're performing without requiring a conversation from Rob to say, hey, you're approving invoices a little slower this week. Are you feeling okay? And that is a great point. KPIs are not just for Big Brother. People like to know how they're doing in real time. So we have weekly spreadsheets that anybody can access to see what's the missed call percentage, what's the dollar per hour, what's the you know email response time, what's the customer satisfaction rate. So absolutely getting that data back, and I'm so glad you brought that up, getting that data back to the people who are doing it is vital. Exactly. Yeah, that's probably what I'm most excited about, honestly, about all of that, Rob, is being able to show business owners like yourself, these are those three associations that you mentioned earlier that we're chasing and we're losing money on them. Yeah. And being able to have numbers to go back and show the VPs, yes, we are indeed losing money so we can have those conversations because those are generally the folks that are servicing those three associations that want that are the most depressed. Yeah. Right. And so right. being able to identify that and show to your employees like, hey, I value you and the time that you're spending goes such a long way into building, you know, just a great team as well, I think. Absolutely. Um, awesome. Well, thank, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule um, oh, my pleasure. to hang out yeah. and, and join us on this conversation today. We're really excited about seeing you uh, at the user conference coming up here and then some of the other events. You're going to be at CEO and MC next week? Yeah, I'm actually doing a session on um, um, automation and outsourcing. Very cool. All right. Looking forward to uh, to seeing you there then, Rob. Yeah, it'll be good. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, have a great rest of your day out there. Yeah, you, yeah, you thank too. You thanks for having me. That's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Guilty by Association. We'll see you next time.